Podcast. This is Dr. Bennett. I'm joined here by Corey Vandenberg. He's the co-founder of Clixy, which is an online marketing and reputation management agency based out of Salt Lake City. He's an exit member and by his own count hasn't earned W-2 income since 1998. So we wanted to talk to him about how he got started in his line of work and the prospects for others who might be interested, as well as how he might advise someone who's been doxxed or otherwise dragged through the mud online. So welcome to the show, Corey. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. So I got started a digital marketing agency about 10 years ago in college, and at the time, it was pretty wild west. Anybody could get into it. Companies would hire people on the basis of just a decent looking website because they had really no idea how to evaluate the service internally. So how has that market matured if, if it has matured? It's a very low barrier of entry. In fact, I remember how I got into this industry is kind of a weird left-hand turn of events in my own life. I, I was, um, I was buying foreclosures and I was at the very forefront of that industry that, that eventually turned, uh, into kind of a really controversial arena. Uh, it was doing foreclosure rescue, right? So, uh, in 1997, actually it was 1996, um, what we were doing at that time was was buying defaulted paper. So we would go out and find second mortgages and um, just anything that was underwater. And we would go to the original note holder and offer them a, a settlement and we would take over that paper and then uh, and then we would work out uh, arrangements directly with the homeowner. And a lot of times we had some really, really cool outcomes that helped people lower their overall debt exposure, stay in their home, get restructured in, in their just everything that was going sideways for them. And then, uh, and then eventually refinance and they were much better off. And of course that turned into a whole industry just um, fraught with scams and and problems, but um, leading into the early 2000s, um, started to become, you know, very uh, a very crowded marketplace. And of course, this is also the advent of, of Google and um, social media. And at that time, we thought it was novel to start playing around with those avenues for finding leads and deals for ourselves. And so. Uh, we just started kind of tinkering, and um, and, I, and I will say just as a as a side note that um, you know I was talking with uh, with TAC Tactical Minivan the other day about crypto, and just as a side note, the way I got into SEO is the same advice he gave me about crypto, which is that the best education is getting in there, getting your hands dirty, and just kind of doing some of this stuff and messing around with it, and that's. That's precisely how we initially got started. And I had a, uh, a friend of mine who had a, a, a law firm. And because I was so involved with the foreclosure industry, I had a really intimate knowledge of the bankruptcy industry and how bankruptcy works and all the ins and outs of bankruptcy law, federal and state, and so on and so forth. And so 
she contacted me knowing what I had been doing with Google and, and basically said, I'm moving from San Diego back to Utah. I have nothing. I'm starting over from scratch. Is there any way you can help me with this Google stuff? Help me build my business. And like one situation like that became two, became four, became 10 over time. And it just sort of snowballed into this thing organically. And, um, and in 2008, when, when the real estate market crashed, um, you know, I, my, my business partner and I were over leveraged. Uh, we got just absolutely decimated and we were looking at this thing and saying like, okay, we got to pivot somehow. Where could we pivot potentially? And we saw this opportunity uh, where we were like, gosh, this Google stuff that we've been doing for ourselves, we could potentially actually do that for others on a service basis. And um, th this bankruptcy lawyer that I mentioned, we had taken her from nothing to filing 20 uh, chapter 13s a month, which uh, if, you're, if you're not familiar with sort of the mechanics and the economics of a law firm, that's a healthy, healthy practice for one, one attorney, right? Because they not only do they get paid on the front end, but they get a residual off of that case as the, as the plaintiff makes payments every month. So, you know, within six months, she had both a, a healthy incoming practice as well as a nice pipeline of, of income. And we saw that as an opportunity to scale. And so we started doing that and became known for growing law firms. And so that's the first piece of advice I would give somebody. Sorry, it's actually the second because I said, get in and tinker, right? So th that would be my first advice. But my second is to, uh, is to specialize in a particular area of knowledge or emphasis, something either that you know a lot about or that you have a proximity to, right? Because the reality is that, that online marketing and SEO is pretty agnostic to the application. It doesn't matter if I'm doing this for a lawyer or a plumber or uh, an e-commerce website. Now, there are, there are small differences and distinctions that, that somebody who knows this stuff could argue with me and say, well, what about this aspect or that aspect? But by and large, they're, uh, they're broadly applicable principles. And so the advantage of knowing something about a niche is more in your ability to attract new clientele because their their presumption is going to be this guy's the expert about my thing so therefore i'm going to go with him over some generalist uh, so it's more of know. a branding thing rather than it being absolutely sort of like you actually know something in particular yeah because i was going to ask like yeah you, you explained how you got in but i was wondering why you stayed in that lane and that's just, why, uh, because we branding, got a reputation. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's branding. And and so, you know, there's been uh, a lot of growth in uh, our company just simply by being known as, as, you know, I'm using air quotes, but like lawyer guys, right? Yeah. Um, and, and I'm not going to pretend that there aren't some benefits to using a specialist, right? Because I do speak their language. I know the uh, the ins and outs of growing a law practice. So I can speak to a lot of the problems that they, that they experience. But again, I think by and large, that just furthers my point that, that they love to know 
that you know their business as opposed yeah. to somebody who they're going to have to teach, you know, nuance to, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I imagine that in, in terms of your ad buy, having some grip on like the psychology of why somebody looks for yes. for your for that particular product has got to help. And I wanted to ask you also, like when yes. I when I started uh, in that business, it was still kind of adversarial with the search engine. It was it was very much like yeah. trying to do things outside of their their ecosystem to game the results. Yeah. And, and in the course of my time there, it evolved to where like, basically people were saying the algorithms are too good. We need to just focus on like working within their system, doing the ad buy, learning to use kind of their proprietary, like marketing and analytics tools. And, and I wonder, is that your experience or is there still a lot that you can do kind of external to like AdWords and? Well, I'll, yeah, I'll, so I'll approach this from a couple of different angles. First, I'll tell you what I tell clients. Um, and I, I like to answer the question about um, what you brought up is oftentimes referred to as like white hat tactics versus black hat tactics. And then there's gray areas in between, right? Um, what I often tell clients is that... Um, especially in a, in a really competitive market like personal injury, we need every advantage we can gain. And so uh, I share with them my, my personal ethics in how I approach those types of tactics. And what I tell them is that I'm much like a doctor in the sense that my ethic is to first do no harm to the client. I don't care whatsoever about Google, so long as I can maintain <laughs> that premise. Sure. Okay. So will I explore black hat and gray hat tactics? Absolutely. Any SEO worth his weight should. Okay. But I typically do it in a very controlled environment to the, so that I can explore, see why it's working, find out if there's some mechanism that is less of an exploit that could potentially be done in a white hat or a gray hat manner, right? Yeah. And then apply it in in the real world once I know that I can maintain my ethic. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and the th this type of stuff that I was doing was very much like I was writing a lot of blog posts with embedded links, just link building. And um, that started mm -hmm. to become... Uh, Meaning like, like guest posts? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, is yeah. that the kind of thing that you're referring to as black hat or is that just sort of standard oh, procedure? No. Oh, no. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, on the, that's on the very mild end of what somebody might consider black hat. I, I've got some great stories. You know, people, obviously there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of discussion around black hat. It's controversial. <laughs> Um, but I remember uh, one of my one of my really close friends uh, was telling me about a conference that he attended uh, in this was like 2006 or seven. It was right around the same time that Google released the uh, the Google Maps product, and it used to be called Google Places back then. And 
he was in this conference and the guys from Google at that time were there and they were telling these stories about how they actually had like a war room with monitors set up, big televisions set up so that they could monitor live real-time changes that were occurring on certain websites that they had sort of um, identified as having a proclivity towards black hat tactics. And they were like, in real time, just they, they talked about loving the ingenuity of these guys and they would sit and watch them and use them as like a, almost like a QC that's like, they would get ideas and be like, oh my gosh, that's smart. And, and so they put up one example uh, and they talked about how this guy, they're like, this guy is super clever. And it was one of the first instances of them referring to white text on a white background. And, and it was my buddy who's sitting there in the audience and they have his site up there as an example. Um, that's awesome. I mean, we've, we've experimented with everything from that to, um, mobile phones hooked up to servers that, um, you know, basically emulate human behavior, right? So like we've, we've tried all kinds of things just to see what they do and and to what extent they can be utilized to get a better result. Um, So yeah, I, I think that what I would, I would suggest most people probably just don't ever go near that stuff because that takes not only years of, of experience, but also just sort of like being in the right time, the right place and having the right uh, relationships to, to otherwise, I think that you're much better off focusing. If I was going to get into to marketing today, um, the first thing I would encourage someone to do is focus on what I call evergreen marketing skills, right? So things like understanding persuasion, copywriting, um, those those are never going to go out of style, no matter what the algorithms do, right? Those are always going to be of use and of value. So from a persuasion perspective, I know there's a lot of technical books that people could read about how to use AdWords, how to do SEO, but for these evergreen like principles and the art of persuasion mm-hmm. and marketing, are there like, is there like a favorite book list that you have that you recommend to people? Yeah, one of my all-time favorites, and this is a big classic that a lot of people will reference, it's called uh, Breakthrough Advertising by Eugene Schwartz. And in it, he talks about a principle called the stages of awareness. And it's one of my favorite things because it's so broadly applicable. When you understand the stages somebody goes through from being completely unaware of a particular problem to being problem aware and then solution aware, and then ultimately they get to the greatest stage where you know you might say like oh i'm i'm i need a tesla or i need blue blockers or you know you get to you you can move them through that stage using him the principles that he teaches in that book um there's another one that i mistakenly referred to as being eugene schwartz but it's actually called uh, scientific advertising by claude hopkins both of these gentlemen are are the early pioneers of advertising. Uh, if you ever watched like the show Mad Men, like these guys are the Mad Men. Like they're the real guys who wrote advertising. And, and um, in, the, in the days when it was far more difficult because there was no checking out online, it was like 
mail in. Like they had to convince somebody to put money in the mail and then wait days or weeks before they got the thing they were ordering. So you can imagine the level of, of ability they had had to be just absolutely top tier compared to, um, you know, Amazon with its one click checkout, right. Which makes impulse buying much easier. Right. Um, so those are two that are great on the, on the concept of persuasion. I really like a book called influence by Robert Cialdini. He's a professor out of uh, Arizona and he takes and kind of highlights some different um, aspects of why humans are influenced. And he talks about several different things such as um, urgency, scarcity. Uh, he talks about liking, right? The, so making yourself likable and, and having them like you. He talks about um, having a reason why. Uh, it was in, in each of the different chapters, he cites studies that were done. So that there's actual evidence and data behind some of the claims that he's making. You know, he shows uh, an example of students in a cafeteria where there was a line for a uh, copy machine and they tested out going up and asking if you could step in line because uh, and giving no reason at all. And uh, when you had a reason, and even if it was a stupid reason, like because I'm late for my appointment, there was a significantly higher amount of people who were willing to let you cut in line rather than the people who didn't have a reason, right? So that's just one yeah. example. Um, urgency, scarcity, and there's several others. I can't off the top of my head. I don't recall them, but uh, but Influenced by Robert Cialdini is a great, a great book on the topic. Awesome. Um, and then if you're in sales, if you're looking at, at sales and, and marketing yourself, I think that um, Chet Holmes's book, The Ultimate Sales Machine, is another one that, that I think is, a, is an absolute classic and a must read. Um, and then, sorry, I'm, I've got like a whole wall of these books, so I could, <laughs> I could probably go on for I could probably go on for too long about it. But I I'm going to add in um, two more that I think are just criminally underrated. Okay. One is you can't teach a you can't teach a kid to ride a bike uh, at a seminar, and um, that sounds like a really weird title but it is one of the best books on sales and marketing I've ever read. And the other is called Straight Line Persuasion. Um, it's, uh, I think that both of those just haven't really caught on in the mainstream. They don't have the, the no, uh, notoriety of a, of a seven habits, but man, yeah. those are great. Well, I've just gone from... Uh being a corporate drone where I was miles away from any kind of customer to being in direct contact with uh, people who I would like to <laughs> to participate in my group. So it's, it's uh, I'm going to go mm -hmm. take that reading list home for myself. So thanks very much. Um, yeah. So, so if you were, if you were trying to get in the game today, without sort of mm -hmm. the advantages of, of maybe the first mover stuff going on in the early days of online marketing, like if you had to jump in now, uh, what would be like step yeah. one? 
So I think one of the big areas, this is one of those hard learned lessons is that early on we tried to be everything to everybody and take on just massive, massive projects that were uh, very, very complex. And, and I think, you know, to an extent, we, we can do complex stuff because we did complex stuff. So we've learned how to systematize around some of those things. But um, if I had to start over today, I would prefer to not have to walk through that minefield and, and figure all that stuff out. And instead, I would look to build around what I call scalable services, right? So an example of a, a scalable service might be something like... Um, birthday birthday text message uh, lists for restaurants where you have a very repeatable deliverable that you are great at delivering and it might be smaller ticket you know that's the downside I suppose somebody might say well I can only charge 199 a month for that and that, and that's true that that they are smaller ticket items but you can deliver many more of them with much less overhead, right? Yeah. So then once you've got your process figured out, you can focus far more on just marketing yourself, building a pipeline and getting more and more volume in to scale. Right. Once you've got that stream, it's it's effectively fire and forget. Like it's just, uh, That's you know, right. you're just sort of cash in the checks That's at right. that point. Yeah. So there's been um, a lot of uh, change in the, we'll call it the, the digital agency space. Okay. And where I think the trend right now is headed is around what some people are kind of referring to as SaaS based agencies or uh, SaaS meaning software as a service. Right. And what these, and so I would say probably at the, at the forefront of that is a platform called high level. And uh, I don't have I don't have my affiliate link or anything like that. Um, although they do have a really a really robust um, affiliate program, so that's another way that somebody could uh, could do really well. They they give you uh, half of the of the revenue from the sign up for life. So it's it's a pretty killer deal. Yeah, but uh, but high level. I think their web address is gohighlevel.com. Uh, and what it is, is it's, it's a marketing automation platform and it's not quite as sophisticated as something like keep with, uh, formerly known as Infusionsoft, but I think that it's close and I think that it's good enough that it can be utilized by a lot of businesses from very small to medium sized. Maybe it's not the best fit for enterprise, but um, but I think somebody who's just starting out, you're, you're most likely going to be selling to small and medium sized enterprises, anyways. Right. And um, what I would do is I would sell packaged, scalable services based on high level. If it were me, starting over. Um, oh, okay. So you so sort of things you like sort of work within that platform to deliver the services. Yeah. Okay. Yep, that's right. And you have unlimited, unlimited sub accounts that you can set up. So once you, once you've signed up for yours, you can, you could have an unlimited number of clients with their own accounts signed up underneath you. 
and uh, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily cost you any more. So the only thing that they would have to pay for is is usage. So every time you set up an account, you have to tie into other platforms uh, to be able to send out emails and texts. So you're signing up for a service called Twilio and you're signing up for something like say Mailgun uh, to be able to, to whitelist and send out emails, but they pay for their own usage and you don't have any additional overhead for putting them on the high level platform. Um, Got it. And so then what I would, if it were me building uh, one of those types of agencies around something like high level, what I would do is I would find a particular niche that I, that I had a lot of knowledge about. Um, so for me, let's say bankruptcy law, right? Because I really understand that, that world. And what I would do is I would create a bunch of templated emails, text messages, um, ringless voicemail, and I would set up automated sequences based on the uh, life cycle of a client, right? So I would have like an onboarding campaign and I would have a campaign for somebody who's already an existing client. And I would have one for somebody whose bankruptcy is, and I would think about the different stages that somebody goes through being a bankruptcy client. And I would design automated communications for those different stages and then I would sell that to bankruptcy lawyers as a sort of a done for you or a done with you type of a product. Yeah. I mean, so I was thinking about how the market has matured and I, I, I was definitely framing that as a negative because it might be, it might be harder to break in, but it almost sounds like they've given you some, they've given a, a, a novice digital marketer some, uh, training wheels or like a powered exoskeleton so they can deliver a lot more value than maybe someone just starting from nothing could have delivered, you know, 10 years ago. Like that's, uh, that's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, for, for sure. And I think too, it would help to make the distinction between activities and results, right? So lower tiered products, things that are more scalable and repeatable, to a certain degree, what you're doing is you're fulfilling activity, right? So there are certain things that you can just sort of set um, an expectation that, that these are just things that need to occur. You need to have a Facebook page so that people can see that you're reachable, that you're a real company, that you have legitimate credentials and, and so on and so forth. But that doesn't put on your shoulders, especially at some low tier product price, like, like 200 bucks a month. That doesn't put on your shoulders the the responsibility to grow the business. You're just simply fulfilling a need, right? Right. Whereas, you know, some of the types of clients that we take on, um, like for example, I, I Polkadot, the the cryptocurrency, uh, which is actually that's not the name of the company. It's actually Parity Technologies, but um, you know they expect certain specific results and that's why they pay bigger tier prices right they expect to see actual growth because of what we're doing and i think starting out the last thing you want to try to do is be the guy who can say yeah we're going to deliver a certain amount of growth to your business that's a yeah that's a tall order yeah that 
I hadn't thought of that. There's there's definitely different ways to quantify your offering, and it's much easier to mm-hmm. say I will do these specific things, agnostic of how it cashes out for the client, um, just because yes. I know you need them. Versus, yeah, uh, this this almost um, predictive like I you know I'm gonna make it rain for you kind of approach. Which yeah, exactly. Kind of, like, you can like, do if you're a pro, but it's harder. Yeah, like if you go sign up for CallRail, right, which is a call tracking company, CallRail says, I'm going to give you call tracking phone numbers so that you can track your ROI, but they don't say I'm going to give you ROI. Yeah. They, they just say, we'll help you uncover it if it's there, <laughs> right, or see <laughs> to what extent it's not there um, because they're just simply fulfilling a specific need that you have. And I think that a beginning uh, agency or marketer or somebody who's looking to fulfill those things should take a page out of that book and understand that that you're probably not at a, at a point and, and may not be for a year or two to where you could, um, in good faith, tell somebody that you can deliver financial growth. Yeah. I, uh, I think that's going to be interesting. We, we have a handful of guys who are in this space, and I think uh, – they're going to find that that approach really, really useful and interesting. Um, so as far as yeah. beyond go high level, um, dot com, are there any other like major overheads in terms of software subscriptions that make this hard to scale? Or is it something where you can just sort of learn some relevant skills to provide the services and then pick up a client and get going? You know, there's a lot of tools out there and I suppose it, it's it's all going to be circumstantial based on how much you need them or or to what extent there's free or low cost options. Um, you know we have a, a we have a pretty significant overhead with uh, with software, but that comes with having a lot of clientele and and the need for more enterprise type solutions. So um, you know we're using tools like. And people who are in the industry are going to be familiar with some of these, but like there's one called SEMrush, uh, SEMrush uh, mm-hmm. is how other people refer to it. But um, we utilize that for doing a lot of SEO tracking and research. Um, we use another one called uh, Hrefs, a, which is sort of a, a uh, reference to like backlinks and, and uh, nomenclature involved in building backlinks and such. Yeah. Um, but uh, but I guess I don't know quite how to answer the question of what tools you would need because it would depend a little bit on the direction you chose. So, um, you know, if somebody wanted to get into, say, for example, doing more like social media stuff, um, there's probably a lot lower overhead needed there because you can do a lot of that just merely by helping people create uh, content. So you might need some... Uh, you might need something like Canva, which I think Canva has like a free, a free uh, initial subscription. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I think most of marketing is going to come down to um, understanding a lot of that persuasion and the ability to communicate. And ultimately, that's what it is. It's a form of communication, right? Yeah. So the the strategy side of things I think is, is one of those areas that's going to take a lot longer to acquire the skills, but the ability to just fulfill on certain, uh, 
areas, I suppose, yeah, there are, there are ways you could get into it with low overhead, um, account creation, account, uh, like publishing content. Well, I, I wanted to ask you, like, I think maybe people who are my age and younger mm-hmm. may think of like account creation as something that everybody knows how to do. And so it may not occur to them that that's a service that they could provide. Is that your experience where people are willing to, to pay someone to just set up their oh my different social media accounts? Dude, if you, if you were to go, so here's a way you could get started with relatively low overhead. And, and this answers your question too, is you can go to sites like fiber.com and um, upwork.com and just just get a taste of what's out there. Look at what others are offering. There's hundreds and thousands of those types of gigs, right? Where that's what people are offering. And and the crazy thing is even outside of marketing, I had my brother-in-law who's in um, HR and he was asking me, he was like, holy cow, have you heard of this site called Upwork? And I'm like, yes, I've been... I've been hiring people off Upwork for a decade now, back when it was called Odesk. So yeah, I'm very familiar with it. And he was like, he's like, dude, I've been getting gigs where people just want me to do HR stuff. And it's not even marketing things. There's, there's all kinds of one-off type of opportunities that you can sort of dabble until you get your footing and figure out a direction. Um, but yeah, account, account creation is definitely a thing people hire for because it's tedious and monotonous and frustrating. Um, you know, so you could easily design like a Google form, uh, that, that asks the questions that you need in order to be able to create a, uh, a profile or, or some kind of an account for somebody. And yeah, I mean, I will say that, uh, that might be, a tough one to do profitably just because I know there's a lot of that type of gig work that's being done by overseas workers. And so it's done at a very sure. low, uh, a little low cost, but it's, it does exist. Yeah. So I, I'd like to, I'd like to move into the reputation management space. Sure. Um, it sounds like, well, a lot of the job it sounds like is is technical from a, from an analytics perspective and like and like SEO. There's there's a lot of like nuts and bolts there, mm-hmm. but yeah. with reputation management for celebrities, you really can't like shout down bad news. So it's got to be much more about I imagine <laughs> about like message crafting and more like art than science. So tell me about how you approach that. Yeah, it's definitely a mixture of. Uh, of art and science. So what we've found is in the celebrity and uh, executive space, you know, dealing with with famous executives and and really well-known business people, you're right. Like there is no just, um, it's it's not like lesser known individuals like us where we can sort of publish our way out of the problem, right? If we, if we simply know the right aspects of technical SEO and we crank out enough content most of the time with, with just a little bit of knowledge and know-how, you can kind of just overcome that stuff with volume. That's a lot harder to do 
when the problem that you're trying to overcome is on the front page of the New York Times or the New York Post or the Wall Street Journal. Yeah. Um, so at that point, it does become a bit of, there's almost like a confluence of the world of PR and SEO where you have to, you have to be able to get the narrative you want pushed out there and then do all that other stuff. And sometimes you have to get really creative. Um, you know, we, we've done things like um, we've created blogs that look like they're some uh, fan, some, some really passionate fan and create just written some content that makes it look like they're just really, really obsessed with this person. Um, and because a lot of times what comes with that territory is they want the problem gone, but they don't want it to look like they want the problem gone. <laughs> right. So um, you have to be sometimes very discreet in how you're handling those types of things. Um, so, you know, a typical rep management campaign is going to start out looking like um, doing sort of a, an assessment of the landscape. So you want to pull down a spreadsheet of what are my antagonistic URLs? What am I up against? So you would put those into a spreadsheet so that you can look at them. And some of the things, these are, this is a little bit technical stuff from an SEO standpoint, but you're going to want to look at like the strength of the domains that you're up against. You want to know what does the backlink profile look like? So you want to know how many other sites are out there linking to this thing and how authoritative are they? Then you put together a plan to say, okay, what can I do to make both short, medium, and long-term gains? So short-term gains for anybody, this is famous or otherwise, short-term gains are always going to, or, or typically are going to come from profiles that, because those are going to carry the most relevance to you as an individual. Right. So something like like a Facebook account, a Twitter account, a LinkedIn profile, um, those are very, very high authority domains that are going to carry extremely high relevance to you and your name. And so the way this typically works is almost like a triage. Nobody knows what the end result's going to look like, but we're going to start with the lowest hanging fruit first, see how the landscape shakes out move to the next tier of complexity until we've exhausted all of the easy opportunities. If they're not the ones showing up on the first page, then we're going to move to some of the more complex stuff like inventing fan blogs and, and crazy <laughs> stuff like that. Um, so, you know, uh, and then of course, if it's a, if it's somebody who's genuinely famous, they're going to have PR people, they're going to have contacts with, um, publishers. And so then what you start doing is you start collaborating with their PR company and sculpting a narrative, figuring out, is this something we need to spin or is this something we need to ignore? And how do we want to, how do we want to approach that? And then once you've got kind of all those pieces working in harmony, you've in harmony, you've optimized all of your available 
profiles and sites that, that you have access to. You've got publishing going on. Then it really comes down to the, the age-old SEO stuff where you're obtaining high authority backlinks and to the extent that you can control it, trying to get um, names utilized in the right way. So you want names in the URL, names in the like the titles of the page, you know, the, they're, we refer to them as like H1s, H2s, uh, yeah. which is just a type of the formatting headings. on a page. Um, the headings, yes, right. So if you can get the name that you're trying to optimize for in the URL and in the headings, you're going to have a better chance, right? And then as you're acquiring backlinks, the same thing's going to apply there. You want name in the anchor text and name relevance from the page that you're sending the link from. Um, you know, and over time, it just becomes um, sort of a war of attrition. You're doing all these things while at the same time hoping that the intensity dies down around this topic, hoping that it becomes less relevant over time for you and your name, um, hoping that the page in question loses backlinks. Uh, that's another thing that we can do is when it's somebody who can afford having, you know, a, a team like us behind them, um, we'll do work behind the scenes to try to get links taken down to the pages in question, right? So we'll try to play offense and defense at the same time. Yeah. I was going to ask uh, you if there were tools to actually expunge or remove unfavorable content or if it was just about flooding the zone. There are, and, and they don't always work because sometimes, you know, Google isn't just going to take something down just because. So sometimes you have to find specific cause and, and argue your, your case to them. You know, maybe it's um, they've broken some law. In that case, yes. If they've broken some law, then you can definitely appeal to Google to try to get something removed. In the, um, in the EU, there are what's called right-to-be-forgotten laws. Mm. And uh, so there are certain things that fall under like privacy uh, statutes that allow you to, to potentially get something removed if it's in the EU. Uh, that doesn't work here in the U.S., of course. Um, so I guess to be more uh, specific and applicable to somebody who isn't a celebrity with, with just endless resources to throw at a problem like this. Um, if you've been doxxed or uh, in, somehow the cancel crowd's coming after you, I would say that you wanna do two things after you've assessed the landscape like I described. And that is you want to try to optimize as many of the low hanging fruit that I described like your Facebook, your Twitter, so on and so forth to get those things to rank for your name. And yeah. then I would, I would consider, and it, it's going to be somewhat circumstantial, so this won't apply to everybody, but like if it were me, what I would probably do is I would start looking at ways in which I could potentially establish myself as an authority in something, uh, ideally something that I'm actually an authority in. But, um, but the reason that I would want to be doing that is because it gives me a reason to talk on those different platforms. 
and it gives me the ability to influence a particular uh, aspect of Google that isn't always available. It's not that it's not available, but it's not always active for those of us who aren't celebrities and, and really well-known individuals. And so what I'm talking about is what are called uh, feet, search result features or, or search engine features. So things like the carousel that has images or the carousel that has social media posts or videos. And then there's another one that oftentimes, if you look up a celebrity's name, um, you'll oftentimes see a little box to the right-hand side of the search results. And that's referred to as the knowledge graph, hmm. Google, Google knowledge graph. And um, that's sort of like a secondary layer of information that Google is building about you or about whatever thing that you uh, happen to be searching. And so building out your knowledge graph and getting that little box to trigger on the right-hand side starts to build an insulation around your image and your reputation that allows you to have a bit more control and ability. Um, whereas when you, when you lack a knowledge graph, you're a bit more susceptible because what it means in, in SEO parlance is that, that Google doesn't recognize you as a specific entity inside of its database, right? right? So it knows, it knows who Elon Musk is. It knows who, uh, and I don't mean to refer to it like with as a person, but the AI understands this entity called Elon Musk. Right. It's not just and a collection of so keywords. It, that's right. It, it, there's very spe specific context to it. And so it'll link up all those things. It'll link to his Twitter account and to Tesla as a company. And all of those things will be referenced in that little box on the right-hand side of the search engine. Um, you can eventually get one of those as well, but it requires sort of acting like a unique entity. So, you know, maybe you publish an ebook, put it on Kindle, uh, yeah. you know, maybe build, building out a, a, a YouTube channel and just starting to build out an expertise in a particular area will allow you to optimize for Google's knowledge graph and eventually gain some more control over, you know, your, uh, your search results for your own name. Yeah. So the, the hardest case that I'm aware of personally was a friend of mine who was a state mm -hmm. prosecutor with a pretty distinctive name first and last. And yeah. you can go to like page 10 of Google and it's still news articles about his doxing. Is it possible to clean something like that up? Or are you just better off kind of looking for a boss who's cool with your history? That's a good question. That's, I hate to say it depends because that's always the standard answer that, that a lot of people say, but you know, you, I, it kind of comes back to that assessment that I talked about earlier. Like it's hard to know how how much you could remedy a situation without understanding the, the various sites that are, that are ranking for their name. So you didn't, you, you'd have to almost approach it on a case by case basis, but yeah. Um, 
it's virtually all news no, sites. I... It's like it's like the Salt Lake Tribune, the Guardian, the you know the mm-hmm. Montana whatever. Um, mm-hmm. So it's like that tier of content. Like, is it possible to bump those out of the way, or are those pretty hard to crack? Anything's possible. It's 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 the the constraints are time and resource, right? right? So you can always. Right there's nothing, there's nothing that's immovable. Um, you know, one of the most creative situations that I saw, um, in, in one of these circumstances was, was somebody who was not super famous and they had an issue. You know what they did is they started to go out and re I'm going to say brand, but brands, maybe not quite the right word, but they used, they went out and changed everything to use a slightly different formulation of their name. So they changed it to uh, like to have junior and you know some other prefixes and suffixes and things like that, and they they made sure to use that almost like a um, you know like Thomas S. Monson type of a thing, right? They went from like being T. called Spencer Tom Monson. Yes, exactly. And so by mixing that up and sort of using it th- throughout all your own media and sort of reinforcing it over time that's what more and more people searched for so they avoided the problem rather than fixed the problem and that was i think a pretty clever solution that is cool so this this generation has their whole life archived online basically anybody younger than Mm -hmm. me um, I was just young enough that I mostly dodged that bullet. A high school friend reached out to me recently and sent me a link to my old live journal from high school, which I thought was dead and buried. And it was it was almost as bad as getting doxxed in terms of like my visceral, like physical response to that information. And I, I, yeah. I frantically I go to um, I go to their website and I realize that it's it's attached to an email that no longer exists. And so there's no way for me to get it taken down. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's and nothing, nothing mm. horrible, but just sort of like awkward, embarrassing teenager blog. Um, so what do you tell, or what would you tell your kids about how to handle their online presence right now? Man, yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, we've with my own kids, we've definitely restricted their access to a lot of social media because I've just seen, I've just seen it be so difficult and and problematic for so many people. But, um, you know, we've also, to the extent we've given them some access, you know, we've always given them the the customary uh, precautions of, of don't, don't speak to or connect with people you don't know. Don't yeah. be don't be giving out a lot of the personal identifiable identifying information. Um, we we have really really candid conversations with them, but um, with the younger generation, I mean, a, a lot of I don't know that there's technical answers as much as as much as behavioral answers. Right? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean. I, I hope, and I don't, I don't really know what this looks like necessarily, but I do hope that there's advances and changes coming um, with a lot of the the movement that we have, that we're seeing right now around 
crypto and, and privacy and, and I'm, I'm hoping that, that, that some of these issues are going to resolve themselves. It seems like that oftentimes happens with a lot of technology where the thing that we're all having high, high anxiety over sort of innovates its way out. Yeah. Um, and I'm, and I'm hoping that, and I'm hoping that occurs, but uh, I don't have a, I don't have a great answer for it at the, at the moment. <laughs> it's so challenging because like a, a lot of it is just like, you know, you can tell your kids to be smart, but like kids just aren't smart. And you know, like they're, like they're just, they're not going to make like the best decisions at that age with this, with this like really permanent, um, yeah. technology. That's, that's, that's a huge challenge. Um, yeah, I mean, the thing I've always said is that you can't you can't um, childproof the world, and so sure. the best thing you can do is is worldproof your child, right? Yeah. Like you've got you've got to be having frank conversations, and in order to do that, you've got to be maintaining a relationship that allows for those frank conversations to be had in in the right spirit and to be received well. It's, it's there's no shortcuts in parenting you know yeah it, for it sure. takes it takes real effort and you know you, you you mentioned about like innovation do you do you think also that there's a point where i mean so i, I talked to um tom woods i was on his podcast as you know um mm -hmm. yep and one of the things that we discussed was like his his generation of like being a conservative commentator online um, I was thinking about um, Carrie Prejohn, who who was uh, kind of thrown into the meat grinder around the same time, early two thousands, um, where there was a lot more sort of institutional trust in the media, and so like if you were getting kicked yeah. around by those people, a lot of people assumed that you kind of deserved it. And, you deserved it, yeah. <laughs> and now it's it's much more like yeah, they lie all the time about everything. I'm sorry that happened to you. Like that was like 90, 95% of the time. That's been the response when I tell people what happened to me. There's no like, oh, you must've really done something. Cause it's like, no, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a jungle and it's, it's crazy out there. Do, do you think that there's a point at which enough, obviously ordinary, decent people get run through this machine that people sort of stop caring? I think that has to be, and that may be, that may be the way we innovate our way out of it. Is that we just over time erode public trust in these institutions. Um, you know, I, I can't remember where I heard it recently. Maybe it was Jordan Peterson, um, but it, or or uh, that uh, that guy that's James something. He's been going around talking about his book. Um, about like CRT in classrooms. Um, but one of them talked about how um, the best thing you can do with these people is let them talk and let them be heard, right? Because, <laughs> right. Uh, because what ends up happening is that those of us that are sane hear it and go, they're insane. Right. And right. And, right. and the more we allow their, their insane ideas to get exposure, uh, I think the better off we'll all be, you know, Twitter and, has been incredible in that respect 
because it has given us all an unfiltered look at the people who deliver the news, the people who invest in quote unquote investigate um, journalism and, and, and the people who run all these institutions that are supposed to be so authoritative and so smart and like, you know, uh, goofballs like me and guys with anime avatars can just destroy those people on Twitter and make them look absolutely ridiculous because they are ridiculous because they're buffoons. And, and it's, uh, you know, I think that's, um, creative destruction. It's a, it's a healthy process that needs to unfold. Well, and I think those of us who are uh, in a position to do so, I think we need to not be quiet and we need to actually take action on our ideas. You know, I, I, I loved, even though I don't necessarily agree with it, everything he has to say, I loved that, that Ben Shapiro uh, gave, um, I can't uh, Carano, yeah. Name, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Gave her another opportunity and, and stepped up and said, you know, we're going to make sure you're not entirely canceled. I think to the extent we're able to, we should all sort of follow that example, right? So if there's an opportunity to hire somebody who has gone through this, we should do it as an employer. Um, Or if there's somebody who has to venture into entrepreneurship, we should support them. And that's, that's, I think, probably the best way that we can, uh, that we can help change this tide is putting action and, and money and intent behind our words. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that was the, the genesis of this group was to get, uh, resources together and minds together to make that kind of thing happen. I was just going to suggest that there could be a potential way that we could harness the, the power of the exit group to help each other, uh, or help out those who have been, um, damaged in their, their online reputation. Yeah, lay it on me. Because one one of the missing elements when you're publishing stuff, and this is this is why I told you that we've experimented with like, um, like I've got a I've got a a whole wall in in our warehouse of mobile phones that are all hooked up to a server, and every single one of them is rotating IPs and emulating um, human behavior and all with a with a a, each one of them has a specific purpose right well one of those reasons is because google pays quite a bit of attention to what we call user signals and so there's a lot i could imagine us doing as a group to help each other out in those situations um you know if for example uh if we have websites we could potentially say hey here's opportunities where i'm willing to give you a backlink to a particular piece of content. Um, we could take published content that's going to help and we could help to proliferate it. We, we could help share, like, comment, uh, and, and get it out there. So, you know, having even just a small network can make a really big difference. Um, so I just wanted to throw yeah. out there that, that that could potentially be another benefit of the group and a way in which we could all help uh, lift one another up. Yeah. So, uh, Robert B is a, is an exit member and he's been a very strong booster of that idea. He's, uh, he's very good about sharing the guy's content and getting things out there. And, uh, and it's something that we've, that we've kicked around quite a bit. And, and, um, 
that's one of the reasons why we have the content creation space is so that we can shill each other's stuff. And, oh. and, you know, I have been thinking of that more in terms of like, you know, someone wants to get their sub stack out there or whatever, but I hadn't thought of it from like a real name reputation management perspective. So that's yeah. a really good note. And I think we're going to do something like that. Absolutely. Yeah. So, and I could even probably scrounge up a, uh, uh, one of those spreadsheets that somebody could use to do the assessment so they could s figure out like, what are my antag antagonistic links? What am I up against? And, and then once that's built, then we could kind of figure out a plan for them as far as uh, profile creation and publishing. And then the group could help to promote those things. That's awesome. I will, uh, we, we could probably put something like that on the wiki. So I, I'm going to be announcing the, uh, the release of the wiki tonight and, uh, yeah. we can, we can talk about, so it'll always be accessible, you know, on the, on the group chat, things kind of flow down river and you lose them. Right. Um, right, right. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, that's, that's an awesome idea, man. Thanks a lot. You, you bet. Sounds good. All right. Well, that's all, all right, I sir. I will splice that in. Um, cool. Yeah. So great information, uh, both from, from the entrepreneurship side, I think people are going to find that really interesting and yeah, you know, there's at least, there's at least, uh, half a dozen to a dozen of us that, um, could really use that reputation management information. So, so that's, uh, that's awesome. Good. Man. Really, really appreciate yeah. you taking the time and for, and for Happy. joining up, man. It's, it's great to have you in the gang. Absolutely. Thanks. I appreciate the, the chance to be on the podcast. And with that, Corey, it's been, it's been a great time talking to you. And uh, if, if anyone is interested in learning more about reputation management or, or you know, if uh, by chance you're a personal injury attorney and you want to get your uh, SEO dialed <laughs> in, you can find Corey at uh, clicksy.com, C-L-I-X-S-Y.com. Uh, if you want to be one of the heroes that make sure that Dr. Bennett's not completely canceled, come check us out at Exit Group, exitgroup.us. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at exit underscore org, and you can subscribe to the newsletter there. Thanks so much, Corey. This is a great time. Great talking to you. Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity.